How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Drew Estate Cigar Studios for episode 178 of How About That Cigar Live. Thank you so much for watching live on Facebook, watching live on YouTube, and if you're listening after the fact on the audio podcast, guys, thanks so much for listening to How About That Cigar when you drive down the road, when you work out, whatever it is you do when you listen to your favorite audio podcast. Thanks for making us a part of it. And we are here in the Drew Estate Cigar Studios talking about the new M80, the new Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate, an exploration into the deepest, darkest, and heaviest depths of the mystical Maduro leaf. Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate presents a journey through different Maduro leaves, starting with a thick and oily San Andres Maduro wrapper, followed by a thick and meaty Connecticut Mm, River Valley broadleaf Maduro binder, and finally a blend of Nicaraguan and Pennsylvania broadleaf Maduro tobaccos. Mm -mm. Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate will be presented in beautiful copper-accented black 20-count boxes and will debut in a 5x50 Robusto a 6x52 Toro, 7x50 Corona Doble, and a 5x43 Corona. For more information, please visit DrewEstate.com. Meaty in the Valley. Me- <laughs> Meaty in the Valley. I think I saw that. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so back again in the Drew Estate Cigar Studios. Uh, Garrett is back from uh, another whirlwind uh, adventure. Yes. To uh well, I mean it's it's Ohio. I mean nothing against the great people of Ohio, but it's not like you went to Spain or It's true, but or, I, I did see a funny know. uh funny <laughs> meme today that said a great idea would be to <laughs> a great idea would be to flood the entire <laughs> state of Ohio with seawater. Cuz then you'd have an extra supply of of water of, in in the, well, and farmed we would farm salmon and other yeah other fish it, it takes care of two two issues one uh food supply chain and getting rid of ohio and two it gets rid of ohio <laughs> which is really mean to the people it's who terrible, live in ohio it's wonderful the people of yeah. ohio are awesome just spent um you know four days there had a had a great trip and uh yeah it was good good time um so um i i mean okay so we gotta we gotta talk about hi how about the packers we we have to we have to talk about the green bay packers um i they're so bad i'm sorry they're so bad i watched the game and every every I, uh, you know, here and here's an interesting part. So, as a Minnesota Viking <laughs> fan, I grew up a Viking fan, and and uh, the way it was in the 80s and 90s for me growing up was we hated the Packers. That was just how it was. But as I grew and I grew to love the game, a lot of that, you know, kind of dwindled down. And then my relationship with Matt and and watching our games together when the Packers were being the Packers on Sunday, I felt his pain. I, I felt that. Yeah. They, the, the Packers are just, and they, the, they know that they're terrible. I mean, I hope they know they're terrible. Well, you could see plain as day, Aaron Rodgers, the camera. What the fuck are we doing? (laughs) Plain as day. And it was, well, he needs to point that question at himself. Yeah. Because he's got problems. This is not. This is not on his receivers. This is not on 
I mean, the offensive line is a mess and the defense is a mess, but Rogers has got to point that mirror at himself because he's a mess. He's missing throws. He's, he's throwing missing, low. He's he's open receivers. Yeah. And he doesn't have time. He doesn't have time, but he what even in the past when he had questionable offensive lines, he made he put the throws right where they needed to be. And he's not doing that That's right true. now. He's just not doing it. But the defense, in my opinion, is uh, that's. I mean, they had a pick six. There was a bright spot. Yeah. The, de- yep. the the defense had a pick six, but it's against the Commanders, the Redskins, whatever they're called now, and uh, the Washington Football. Team. The Washington Football. I decided team. that's what I'm going to. That's, yeah, that's forever. That's what they'll they'll be known as. Um, the Minnesota Wild are a mess. They're. Uh, Three and one, four and one. Yeah. One, sorry, one and four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. One yeah, and yeah, four. Yeah, yeah, They're terrible. Four. Uh, we won in overtime against the Canucks. So woohoo. Wo- wo- um, uh, they're they're just the defense is um so I watched some high I went back and I was really wanting to figure out, try to find the weak spot. And I think Matt Dumba is the weak spot. Oh, for sure. He's in the deep. He's just, well, he's giving up too many easy routes to the goal on, on defense. He's just in my, from what I've seen, he's giving up too many easy routes to the goal. I don't know what else to say. They're just, they're, they're struggling offensively. They're doing okay, but they just, they, it, if they're letting too many shots through to the puck, then it's true. It's not gonna, it's not gonna play. So I don't want to beat a dead horse real quick. I want to go back and I just want to the to, Packers. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to, I want to, uh, you know, appease Coop in his, um, cause he'll, he'll ask for your opinion on La Flop. Oh yeah. He'll yes. Um, so what is, what, what are you thinking from a coaching standpoint? How much can you put on LaFleur versus Rogers? He shares in the blame, the same as everybody else. Are you still the play, on board I am, with, I, I am not a fan of his play calling so far this season. I think his play calling has been extremely one dimensional and uh, he shares in the blame. The coach shares in the blame, just like the players do, but the players are the ones who execute and Rogers never had a problem in the past seeing something and saying, I'm just going to change it up myself. But I don't. I no. I have not been a fan of Lafleur's play calling. It's now. It's not like. It's not like. Uh, Coop takes it. Okay, Coop. You know I love you, and we're gonna like truly debate this, like an actual discussion, and and go into all the finer points. Um, Matt Lafleur has made his share of mistakes, um, and he is not a perfect coach by any stretch of the imagination. But you go too far when you say he's. In you use the word inept, in, inept, and I that's just agree. that's just not, it's just not accurate. I will agree. And you and that can be your opinion, but but all of us have inaccurate opinions from time to time. It it just doesn't line up with 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 his record. It doesn't line up with reality. And he's made again, he's made plenty of mistakes, and he's got to own up to them. But uh, no, I haven't been a fan of his play calling. Um, so moving to baseball, yeah. Uh, and again, talking about Coop, congratulations to the Philadelphia Phillies. How about them? I I never in a million years saw the Phillies in the World Series. 
And I think it's awesome that the Phillies made it to the World Series. Yep. I am not super excited the fact that the Astros are in the World Series. And if you're from Houston and you're an Astros fan, God love you. But I have I have problems with that franchise, with that organization, one player in particular. And um, the whole cheating scandal years ago, I, I am not over it. And I genuinely wish that the Yankees would have beaten the Astros. But the Astros are so... They're just, they're, they're playing really well. Now I hope they're playing really well on the up and up. I'm not, I'm not accusing them of cheating. I'm just saying they have a history mm -hmm. of not playing on the up and up. Well, and speaking of uh, <clears throat> uh, baseball, so was in Ohio with uh, Mr. Raul Ramos. And uh, here's what I've learned. Um, I've learned that there are certain people that are so into their team and their sport that when they're watching their team, you don't touch them. So oh, is, is he, we is had, he a little... we had, we had a scene, <laughs> we had a scene. So he's watching his Yankees. He's like, you know, he's fired up. Okay. He's fired up. And, uh, the, the pitcher was throwing shit and the coach was coming out to the mound and I was like, bro, it's okay. He's just, you know, and I went like, I was yeah. doing the, he's just doing the, hey, yeah. man, you know, get your shit. And Ro was like, don't. And I was like, all right. Wow. Wow. Raul is like hands off. Hands off. <laughs> when his, when his Yankees are playing and he was like, not when my Yankees are playing, brother. Later, uh, well, I I, de I desperately wanted New York to beat the Astros, they got completely destroyed by the Astros, unfortunately. Um, and but I I just keep going back to the Phillies, how well they have played, yeah, over the last I mean, even even the last two weeks of the regular season and how they played throughout this entire postseason. Um, I mean, Bryce Harper is. Uh, there's a reason he's getting the money he's getting. But if you look at, if you look at pitching, so I did a little deep dive into um, payrolls for teams and specifically pitching payrolls. So of the, of all the teams that were in the MLB playoffs, including wildcard teams, every single one of them is in the top 10 for payroll money that specifically goes to pitching. Huh. Uh, the Phillies and uh, the Phillies and the Astros are five and six in in uh, pitching payroll. Guess where Minnesota Twins are? You're Out of thirty teams, twenty-seven, twenty-five. Yeah. And guess who's guess who's first? <laughs> and their pitching payroll is. Almost as much as the Twins' entire payroll. Yankees, Mets. Yeah. Okay. So their 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 pitch. I've got it here. The their the the Mets pitching payroll is 128 million dollars. That's just for pitchers. The Twins' entire payroll is 159 million dollars. Our pitching payroll is 13 million dollars. That's that's less than a lot of pitchers get paid individually from some of these big, big teams.
I wonder why we can't compete. Yeah, yeah. It seems it seems like, but the ball. It's so the the Mets, they've got the huge pitching payroll, but they don't have the batters sure. to match. It's so a, it's, it's a, the guys who have the. Off. It seems like the ones who have the balance where the percentages are. But anyway, not to get deep dive into baseball analytics. But if you spend money on really good pitchers, you're going to be a successful baseball team. So something for our Minnesota Twins ownership to think about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe spend a few more million dollars. But hey, this show is officially Go Phillies. (laughs) This is. Yes, we are. We are. Go Phillies. Are you on Phillies? Okay. Yeah. Justin's like. It's, um, it's unanimous. Okay. What? Just, just like I, he's got this. He's yeah. Go Coop. Go Coop. We're on Team Coop. Team we're on Coop. Team Coop. Yes. Um. So yeah, we're officially on the on the Phillies bandwagon for the remainder of the postseason. Um. But I think it's time to get into our yes. main, main event of the evening. Um. So let's bring on our special guest on episode one seventy eight of How About That Cigar Live, and as always. On How About That Cigar Live, special guests are brought to us by our friends at Corona Cigar Company. Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, the Internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Company offers the finest handmade cigars, humidors, and cigar accessories at the absolute lowest possible price. You'll also find unique and limited cigars made with Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Jeff Borshowitz knew it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Tampa, Lake Mary, and a new location coming soon to Sarasota. To learn more, visit coronacigar.com and floridasungrown.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you would please join us and put your hands together and welcome to episode 178 of How About That Cigar Live from Casa Cuevas Cigars, Mr. Alec Cuevas. Welcome to the show, brother. How are you? I'm doing great, Matt. How are you guys doing? Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure, brother. Thank you yeah. so much. It looks it looks nice where you are right now. It looks really beautiful outside. A little breezy, uh, although it looks just like a black background currently, right? Um, <laughs> but we've been catching a lot of good weather, especially for Miami standards, where it tends to be really humid, really hot all the time. So nice drafts are coming in. Um, it's pretty damn nice. I got to be honest, guys. Oh, yeah, that's so cool. Awesome. Uh, so let us know what you're smoking. And I will let you know what I'm smoking, and then we will let Matt light up his cigar in just a second yes. here. So what are you smoking, bro? As of right now, I am smoking the Sangre Nueva in Toro Vitola, the newest thing we currently have out. Beautiful. Very uh, nice. I am also smoking a Sangre Nueva, but in the Double Perfecto. And I am going, I'm going to light one up right now. Absolutely. Uh, and... So uh, real, we've had just some weird technical stuff going on tonight. So There's guys, thanks for sticking with us. The show is going to be fine. If it, if all of a sudden something just goes weird, stay with us. The servers will keep chugging, even if we have to reboot everything in the studio here. It's all good. Just stay with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to light my cigar on the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Toast Cam. When lighting your cigar... 
it is important to be patient, pay close attention to detail, and focus on the tobacco. In the same way, Steve Saka brings those same qualities to the ultra-premium cigars of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. Patience, close attention, and focus on the tobacco are the qualities that Saka and Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust have become known for. From Sober Mesa to Umbagog, Dunbarton has a blend that will fit your palate, your mood, and any occasion. Visit DunbartonCigars.com to learn more. Very nice. Very um, nice. And I didn't, I don't want to brag too much because Matt wasn't, you know, he can't get into his show cigar until we do that read but dang it man this is a great cigar and we're going to talk about that cigar a, a little bit later um since we haven't had you on solo which we're super excited about i wanted to to do a deep dive about you know what what uh your background what growing up was like in the family and ultimately your decision to go into the industry so Let's start with, you know, what it was like growing up with uh, the legends that are your dad and grandfather. It was, I mean, uh, currently speaking, being obviously a part of this family is, is very big to me, something that obviously I did not ask for, truth be told. But having the availability to go to the factory at a young age, um, hell, even from when my father didn't have the brands and he just jumped full on board with my grandfather, everything up until this point has been a learning experience. Um, we spoke about this at the trade show where it's very much, if you guys don't mind me saying this, uh, child labor in a way in relation to <laughs> right? I, I always like to say it because at the end of the day, um, at, at the age of seven, eight, nine years old, uh, you don't want to be necessarily spending your time in a cigar factory, but I was always enamored by it, especially the aroma and all the process that comes with having the factory. Uh, did not understand it clearly way too young um, and I was packaging cigars for a good I want to say five to seven hours mostly whenever I would go visit during the summers oh, wow. and um, oh yeah it was a lot of packaging but <laughs> all that aside it really brought forth the intrigue that I had with this industry as a whole not really understanding any of that and also understanding that my father before the brands uh, just as a fellow manufacturer was frustrated with certain things similar to my grandfather and them getting together having coffee smoking a cigar and just kind of watching from the corner window um just as a little kid now to being the director of brand development for casa Cueva cigars um has been a hell of a journey my i like to say this as a joke my dad does fire me seven times within the year <laughs> uh, it's a true statement we look at things very differently but that being said it's very nice to come from the background that I have. Not only did I have the factory, I also worked on the retail side of things as well for close to about a year at Neptune Cigars over here down in, uh, in Miami. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for what I consider my secondary family in that regard, a huge shout out to them if they are watching by any chance. Um, if, truth be told, if it wasn't for them, I don't think I'd have the palette that I have. And I sure as hell would not have the knowledge that I carry about blending about actually overseeing this business with my father if it wasn't for my father as well as my grandfather so it, it's it's been a journey guys it really has been well and one of the cool things we love to hear from from everybody whether they're you know brand owners that we interview on the show or just people that we know in our lives or people that we meet you know at shops around the country we love hearing people's first cigar story and you being, you know, growing up with tobacco all around you and cigars all around you. 
that those tend to be honestly the most interesting stories mm -hmm. as far as the your first experience you know lighting up a premium hand rolled cigar i see you already laughing yeah, so we're at, I, we got a good one i can't wait to hear this we got a good one got a hot one for you guys this i uh i like you guys a lot should be told i tend to say i started smoking cigars at 17 not to go ahead and if anything else piss somebody off i actually started at the age of 15 years old it was new year's eve never smoked a cigar once in my life but i've been visiting the factory a lot more uh at this point in time and i want to say it was me in the middle with or scratch it i was on the left side with my father currently in the position i'm in and my grandfather on the right side they were both smoking cigars. Uh, my grandfather's also a big fan of Sacapa. So they were drinking and we were enjoying this family event to which my grandfather at a portion of time is a very strict, very, I don't want to say strict, but very Mr. Spock in nature when it comes to these sort of things. However, give him a few drinks and he'll start getting a little <laughs> more loose, a little more playful. I love that side of him. So after I think it's like fourth <laughs> Zacapa pouring, um, he decided <laughs> to look over at me and he said, hey, he always calls me Alecuevas by my full name. We've never to this day understood why. Uh, he, was, he went, Alecuevas. He goes, have you ever smoked a cigar before? I was like, well, no, sir, I haven't. Not at all. I haven't even thought of it. And I remember him looking at me with his face with like a, a brief second of pause. And he said, what the fuck are you doing? Try a cigar. And he whipped out our core line <laughs> prototype Maduro. Um, I, I had no clue how the hell to smoke this damn thing. And he sure as shit was not going to help me with that. Um, <laughs> So he saw me struggling cutting the foot of the cigar, and then he told me, oh, no, this is, um, and this whole time as we're doing it, I finally get around to actually lighting our Coraline Maduro. Um, I'm starting off with something that as medium bodied and as well balanced as it is for a new smoker, it's probably not the best way to go about. And I want to say about maybe a third, if not like halfway through the cigar, the new year starts popping off, the countdown begins. I'm starting to green out. I'm sweating. I'm getting all white. I find myself in the front porch of our cousin's house as the fireworks are going off and everybody's celebrating Happy New Year. I'm in the front yakking my guts out. I couldn't handle it. Um, my parents found me about a half hour afterwards outside in fetal position on the grass. Um, and to which my grandfather then stumbled outside and he said, what do you think of your first cigar? And I said, I like the taste a lot. And that was my first experience <laughs> jumping into this industry. Um, in relation to cigars, I, it's funny because those, those stories in particular, you'd think that it'd be a nice, easy coming, considering it's, it's very much a legacy thing. A lot of my family members, uh, generations all the way back through have been smoking cigars, right? But holy crap, it punched me in the chest. Uh, it really did. <laughs> And I remember thinking, I like this. It's chocolatey in nature, and it's something unique, very acquired taste. But I think I'll enjoy it if I keep on going a little more further. And as I did so, nobody told me not to inhale. So this entire time, I'm oh, in this, yeah, I'm oh. in this was half what's going on, enjoying the cigar, trying to understand the intricacies of it. And it just, I realized putting it down after a while, I started to sweat. And after a deep sigh, I was like, there's no way I can do this. And I'm going out to the front. I didn't want anybody to, my family members to see me greening out, so to speak. <laughs> it, it was definitely an experience, that's for sure. But here we are, uh, a, a thousand, thousands of cigars in at this point in relation yeah. to smoke. Oh wow, that's a that's a good story. I mean, yeah, it's it not it's it wasn't a good experience, but it was that's a great it's a good story. story. You know, you can you can you can tell people for for the rest of your life. That's good stuff. Well, it, no, and <clears throat> I mean, I I'm not trying to one up you, but I may have an experience of being 
a passenger in a vehicle where <laughs> I tried to retrohale and accidentally inhale a little bit, cough, and then almost vomit all over Matt. Oh, holy hell. No, there yeah. wasn't almost. <laughs> I closed the window before right. it. Yeah, but yeah. So the, yeah. had Matt not closed the window, he was sitting behind me in this vehicle as we're going down the street. Now, mind you, as I'm as I'm hacking and yakking, the three other passengers are in the car are like, Garrett, uh, don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were we were giving him the business the whole time. We're all making these puke noises. And he's laughing his ass off. I'm laughing while and he's coughing while he's coughing, time. and then next thing you know, he's he's hurling all over the side of this this uh, rental vehicle. So Jeez, a rental yeah. vehicle like that. Holy crap! Oh, yeah. yeah, no, it was hilarious. Uh, good story. So, uh, been there, done yeah. that when I should have known better. <laughs> Not the best experience, Garrett. I'm with you on that 100. Yeah, but it, you know, well, and I had I had my first. The first time I ever had a truly full-bodied cigar, and this was back, this was a long time ago, and it was a, it was a La Gloria Cubana Serie R. Oh yeah, and I mean that's that's a it, for the for the inexperienced cigar smoker that that cigar is like full-bodied. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very and much. It, we were camping. And sitting around the campfire at night after a long day of hiking and having a great time, you know, had some nothing major, had a few beers around the campfire, you know, not didn't overdo it with the alcohol at all, but smoked that cigar and actually went to bed and woke up after probably only about an hour and and was like, I feel terrible and got up and walked about 20 yards away from the campsite and just just lost it how are you doing yeah it was <laughs> yeah so that's uh and it's i mean it, that's the only thing i can figure out is it was a cigar yeah it was that full-bodied cigar that my i wasn't used to yet so well i want to come back to i want to come back to to factory so um you know when when you were younger and and now i know that casa cuevas doesn't disclose what factory the the cigars are made out of correct that's something um, that... no we do we don't we don't mind at all um oh, okay so in in relation to a factory it's called tabacalera las lavas it is in a duty-free zone over in santo domingo so and the specific area in particular it's also next to a box factory to which my grandfather's very good friends with this gentleman in particular so a lot of our boxes come out of the factory right next door and, uh, and a lot of the stuff happens right then and there in Santi uh, Santo Domingo proper. So it's something that has been around for a good amount of time, to be honest with you guys. Okay. My father's had the factory for since before the cigar boom. So, yeah, we've been around. Absolutely. No, long, long legacy. Um, I love when I talk to people about, you know, um, either Casa Cueva cigars or your dad and you and – just the the joy that everybody oh my gosh i love those guys i love what they're doing i i i love cigars and it's and it's clear that that there is um a true uh joy that you guys bring to the industry that i love to see in in the places that i go where where we're talking about your brand so um yeah be proud of that sorry i'm just really 
enjoying this cigar. Uh, this and this is my first time with the blend. We did get uh, we did get a sample uh, at the trade show, but we were given specific instructions to let it sit and rest for a while. Now I probably have let it rest longer than I should because it's um, you know it's been since July. But uh, this and as you guys can you know see on camera here the you know on a on a perfecto you know the ash holding on a perfecto can sometimes be hit or miss but this is you know stand and going back to the retrohale uh word the retrohale on this blend is really nice it it really is can i yeah yeah it's not all right it's nice medium body the retrohale's got really good kind of i don't know there's there's sort of a oh what's the word a lot of times we use like like baking spice kind of vibe on the on the retro hail that i that i enjoy a lot well thank you we we uh at least from what i've been hearing it's it was always going to be and i told you guys this at the show as well it was a very nerve-wracking project for me um the cigar in itself the blend as a whole really all of it really is a tribute not just to my family but to this industry as a whole for just being very open-armed and welcoming for somebody so young so i wanted the blend to uphold that and to receive the feedback that i have received where most of it in fact almost all of it at this point has been pleasant um was tremendous it, it's it means the, the absolute world to me truth be told. yeah well and and kudos to you for actually getting the name sangre nueva i mean that i was honestly i when i saw that name i was like that's never been trademark before a uh, kudos brother honestly it's like that's such a great name for a cigar and and it, and i know that it plays directly into what it means to you you know being the the next generation of your family and all that and it's i think that's super important and the fact that you were actually able to get the name you wanted i i love it because yeah. I, I like i said i saw the name and i thought i can't believe that wasn't already trademarked i love it yeah i thought I the same thing also I mean, my Spanish is terrible, and I was like, "New goat." I don't know. <laughs> no, that's not. Not that. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, um, looking, uh, looking for the names and whatnot. Uh, to give you guys a little story, the original name was going to be Sangre Joven, um, or Sangre Joven, and we. I, I very much like to keep tradition in play, especially when it comes to our products. So you'll find a lot of our cigars have uh, Spanish titles. So like the Mandaria, for example, which means sledgehammer in Spanish. My fear factor was an individual in question that let's say has never picked up a Casa Cueva cigar before, picking up the Sangre Nueva or the Sangre Joven, let's say, for the first time and thinking that it was a German-based company or something like that, um, based off the namesake. Sangre Joven was what a lot of individuals in this industry would call me uh, within the past five years. Hell, even as a smoker, I was always a uh, young blood, new blood, um, and Sangre Nueva stands for new blood, but Sangre Joven was young blood. Mm -hmm. I, both of which uh, were not taken, which I found extremely surprising, uh, and I immediately pulled the trigger on that. I had to. Absolutely. So go figure. That is so That's cool. So awesome. Well, if you go back, because, you know, you'll have people in who grow up in a family where the family is in some type of business it could be cigars it could be the restaurant business it could be the printing bed just name any kind of business where you grow up and that's that you know your grandfather your father that's just the business that your family is in and it's not always the case 
that the younger generation of the family says, yeah, I want to continue in that family business. So did you go through, you know, periods of time as you're younger and then you become a teenager and you start working your way towards college and things like that, where you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to be in the cigar business. I want to be a firefighter or I want to be a, a lawyer or I want to be a, 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 you know, a stock trader or something. Did you have, did you have, ideas about some other kind of business or or was it always in your heart that you wanted to continue on this trend with your family i you know what and this is interesting i know that um it'll definitely shock y'all that's for sure uh, growing up i did not know if i wanted to be fully associated with the brand itself um for a lot of different reasons but the most prominent one was that i found it to be intimidating especially being such a young person right um, to which I remember first year hopping on board with my father, it was quite literally part-time. I was essentially just packaging and delivering cigars at that point and still in my studies in relation to school uh, when it came to university. So that being said, also growing up, I wanted to do something completely left field. I wanted to be a paleontologist out of all things. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I've always been very, very intrigued and I'm a, I'm a geek and I know you guys know this, but I, I'm a sucker for dinosaurs. Always have been. I still have one of the oldest books I think I was granted by my grandparents. Uh, I got it when I was four years old. It has tape on the back, like the actual front hardcover has fallen off. Um, I still have that book to this day. I love going through it when I can. So I wanted to go and actually become a paleontologist, had no clue how to do it growing up, obviously. And before cigars, I remember jumping into university, initially studying accounting. Um, and the reason for that was because during this part-time process of delivering cigars and whatnot and also packaging them, I wanted to kind of bring back some sort of knowledge basis within business etiquette for our business as a whole. And I thought accounting would have been a great way to do so uh, in relation towards logistics and uh, obviously finance at that point, right? Fast forward, I realized that that wasn't necessarily something I wanted to do. I genuinely found my heart in relation towards what I'm doing now currently when 2019 hit the curve. And at this moment in time, I know you guys know the story. For those of you that don't, we had a break-in um, in which we lost 25,000 cigars. A group of seven guys went in, in the middle of the, the nights, essentially on like a Sunday. I'll say it was three in the morning or so, broke in through our back wall of the actual building itself, snuck a dude as skinny as me in there, didn't trigger any alarms, and wiped us out completely of product. We didn't hear about this until the next day. And at this point, I was studying hardcore, like really hardcore for midterms and things like that coming up. I had very intense classes at that moment in time. I remember going through those reviews and getting the text from my father saying, brother, you should swing by. Something terrible has just happened. Um, my father was already there, obviously. At this point in time, we had a sales director with us at the time, Gabriel Alvarez, um, who was in tears. And I remember just leaving the classroom in itself. And my professor asking what was going on and me just telling him it's it's a family matter. It really was um, to which he blew it off. Uh, something that I it still somewhat bothers me to this very day. Um, however, he did apologize for it later on. And yet I remember getting there, seeing the look on my father's face, um, seeing the damage that was done. And then starting the next project as the sledgehammer, the mandaria, which was the principal tool that they used to break into our office. Um, I came up with the title of the Mandaria, which is why I wanted that cigar to be a spicy one. And it was one of my very first instances ever of getting my hands on in relation to the blending process. That changed my perspective entirely, entirely of what I wanted to do. Um, 
at that moment in time. I did end up graduating recently as of last year. This is currently my gap year. Graduated, uh, go figure. I majored in marketing. I minored in accounting. And next year, I'm looking forward to law school, hopefully. From there, same kind of logic is applied, although I really want to get much more into it in terms of becoming a lawyer, getting at least my boots on the ground for that sort of stuff and bringing it back to the business. Um, my father did something similar. He was a litigations lawyer, and that's helped us tremendously, especially during 2019 when we had that sort of mishap, so to speak. But it's bittersweet to say because really if it wasn't for that moment, if it wasn't for the spontaneous crafting of the Mandaria, which was initially going to be a limited edition cigar, but because of the accolades became core line production. If it wasn't for me being able to get my hands on and quite literally going through 33 different blends with my father <laughs> and my grandfather, um, I don't, I don't think I would have been as much into this as I am today. Um, it's something that my father has always boggled my mind about. Uh, even from a very young age, he says, listen, whether you want to do this or not, I don't want you to put all your eggs into this basket. You never know what's going to happen going down the line, but you have a knack for this sort of stuff. And not just because it runs in the family, but because you have an amazing talent. So I think this would really jive well with what you're going for. And you know what? I, I couldn't agree more at this very point in time. Yeah, that's and that's so cool. That you've got that kind of uh, I mean, it's meaningful to have that kind of support and um and encouragement from from your dad and um you know knowing that you you have the palate for it and you have the drive for it but at the same time you know wanting to think glass half full that everything's going to be okay but you really i mean when it comes to you know things like government regulations and all this you really never do know what's going to happen with the cigar industry you oh, yeah. go into it being as hopeful as you possibly can and having a positive mindset and, and doing all the hard work necessary while all the while knowing it's, it's possible that some bureaucrat could come along in, in government one day and shut the whole thing down. Um, yeah. God, God forbid that ever happened, but it's, you know, it's, it's good to, uh, you know, mix things up a little bit. So, so you're thinking law school next year. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's right my on. goal. Right on. My goal. Uh, well, that, sure, fine, congratulations I, on that. Thank you. Um, my dad also said this, uh, especially when I was growing up, I've always been very good at reading. And he wondered why I jumped into the accounting field. Initially, I've never been very good at math, um, uh, except for with percentages, truth be told. So he always thought that I had a knack for it. And it's always been his dream to have either me or my sister, who's about a year younger, at least try to get into law school. Just that alone was enough for him. Um, but beyond that, I've, with the classes that I've taken, uh, with business law, with tort law and things like that, just the small little portions of insight that I'm going to get in the future, hopefully, uh, it really sparked my interest and considering our line of work, um, with cigars and everything else and how it's very, I guess, shoddy, like you just finished mentioning Matt, I think it's a very large asset to bring back to this company, um, Truth be told, that you can look back at 2019, our Cuevas Reserva series, which did launch alongside the Mandaria. This was a very old grandfathered class blend back from 2005. My grandfather launched it as Cuevas Habanos, gave it to a cousin that we have in Kansas City, and he said, go on ahead and try to promote it as best as you can. With no proper boots on the ground, it kind of died a slow death. And fast forward, 2019 hits the curb, and the FDA hit us with the regulation that if you don't have predicate products, you can no longer bring about new cigars. So my father, being the litigation's lawyer, decided to read through the paperwork, something that a lot of people would find arduous, and he found the loophole for it. 
which is why Cuevas Reserva then came back again and was reintroduced now under a different name and under the grandfather clause. So seeing that was also a big inspiration in relation to law school, but mm. I'm really excited to be truthful, guys. Yeah. And real quick, let's uh, let's help quantify. So 25,000 cigars that was stolen. Okay. Let's help put a number into people's minds of what that loss really entails. Because 25,000 cigars, a lot of cigars. But for a manufacturer, help us with the dollars and cents of that. What does that loss mean? The loss is tremendous. So in terms of the actual total, uh, which I won't disclose, truth be told, um, it was hefty. Think of yourselves in relation to its five figures. But when it comes to cigars, cigars are not cheap, especially when they're coming into the States for export purposes, right? You need to pay S chip. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. The box costs, the costs for the bands themselves, the costs for the actual tobacco in relation to purveyors. A lot of money is put into the product that you guys are currently smoking. And I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of different manufacturers in question here. Yeah. So that being said, when something like that occurs, mind you, we weren't the only ones. God knows we weren't. As you guys know, the Arturo Fuente incident not too long ago and so forth, mm -hmm. right? You end up losing a decent amount of capital, um, yeah. which it was easy to get the scars back, at least core line product, right? Um, but we also had a limited edition Flaco. It was a 7x43 Lancero. It came in Habano and Maduro. And those boxes were wooden, beautiful 10-count boxes with labeled numbers on it. So if you had a specific number that meant something to you, we wanted to sign off on it and send it to you if we could. That being said, due to the robbery, we also lost all of those. And mm -hmm. now comes in the question, that being said, did the shop finally receive that number box in question or was it stolen? And in good conscience, we didn't want the public waiting months and months on end for a product that they ordered, let's say within a few days time prior. So that's why the Mandaria came about in relation to what we lost. And the building was uninsured at the time as well, mind you. We, it was a brand new facility. We just got it. We were about two months into that place, getting everything oriented. So it was a huge blow. And if it wasn't for being the middleman and actually having the factory, I don't think our company would be around to this day. Yeah. Um, yeah. The factory really is what saved it, truth be told. Yeah, that's yeah, tough, that's, man. So, you know, we've talked about, you know, growing up in the business, being around tobacco and cigars, um, your father, your grandfather, having them as, um, you know, mentors, really. But outside of um, your own family, um, have there been any other people in the cigar industry, maybe somebody from another brand or somebody you've gotten to know? Um, who has also sort of played a little bit of a mentorship role with you outside of just your family members? Yeah. So actually, um, this goes back to Sangre Nueva. When I said that this is a tribute to the industry, I really meant that. It's walking into a location like Neptune, for example, not having any boots on the ground in relation to cigars as a whole, and yet having the owners of that company be so kind as to bring me in and have me quite literally go through rows upon rows, different vitolas and so forth of cigars, and just teaching me certain cigar etiquette. Um, one in question, his name is Rene. He's been with them for about 15 years, became a very close friend of mine, and he does a lot of their online reviews. He smokes a plethora of cigars. A lot of what I learned in relation to slow smoking, not burning too much into it, toasting it. Um, hell, even the cold draw, something that you'd figure you'd pick up off, off the bat just due to the family heritage, that was all due to him. Um, he owes, or he owns, better said, a very special place in my heart. Cool ass guy, I have to say. 
Um, he's got a great taste in music at that too. We jived very well with that. But in relation towards the individuals that have impacted me, a lot of fellow brand owners. Um, you can look at Espinosa, for example, Eric Espinosa in question is good friends of my family. And he's also been there to help me out with a lot of different things. I remember dropping product off and we share a lot of products. It gets tiring smoking your own stuff after a portion of time. So we do yeah. like to swap around here and there, right? And I remember just sitting down with him at his facility and just really shooting the crap for a few hours, just talking about everything going forward. This was about three years into me at this point being full on board with the company. Um, little moments like that really stuck with me. Um, and consumers alike as well. It's not for nothing, but there's a lot of very experienced smokers out there that have been smoking for a hell of a long time and have gone through all sorts of experiences and all sorts of flavor profilings. You can look at Brian Monroe out in uh, Las Vegas, for example. He is a cigar sommelier and he does a lot of his tastings with pairings in particular, something that I have always struggled with. Um, I've always been the type to smoke a good cigar with beer out of all things. Mm -hmm. And through a portion of time, I really did enjoy it for about a year and a half or so before Brian opened up my eyes to pairing it with dark liquor. So like rum, for example, or whiskey or scotch. Um, if it wasn't for my broker out in the Midwest, Corey Frisbee, um, I wouldn't have the availability of jumping into rye and doing that sort of pairing. And that stuff goes a long way when it comes to helping somebody else finding the cigar that works best for their palate, depending on what they're drinking. So truth be told, a lot of individuals have helped me with this whole fiasco. Um, and if, going back to it, it really made me feel welcome on the matter. If it wasn't for that, I, I think I'd still be very much intimidated to even be sitting here in front talking with you guys. So, yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> That's cool. And and we love those stories because they're, they're it's a it's a very open giving kind of industry. I mean, it's it's it, there's obviously competition, you know, because, you know, there's only so many cigar purchasing dollars out there in the marketplace and yeah. you know everybody's competing for shelf space and and that kind of thing but at the same time there's there's a wealth of information that most people we've met are are happy to share and mm -hmm. um you know help other people grow and and you know get their get their feet uh, moving in the right direction i love that about this this business it's amazing i do too um and I want to talk, so I want to, I want to hit this, this blending process here, but before we do that, I need to call out Nate Beck and really just the entire Bovida team whom I love and hate equally, <laughs> uh, because Nate ruined, uh, our segment on our, or not Nate, but, uh, Rob, uh, ruined our segment. Oh yeah. <laughs> Niagara and, Falls. Yeah. Niagara Falls. And then, uh, Nate. So Alec, you've got an undisclosed item in this cigar. And the story goes, Nate on the cold draw whispers in your ear and nails it. Yep. Now <laughs> I know nails, uh, Nate is a, is a steel trap and, and he, he won't let that go. Um, I haven't, <laughs> but, um, he pisses me off because his palate is so stinking good um that it it blows my mind it absolutely blows my mind i do want to talk about the flavors though so baking spice but also baking chocolate yeah it is very chocolatey on the retro hail and those who know i struggle with the retro i have a very sensitive sinus i'll make all the excuses to make it sound better <laughs> 
Um, I can retro this cigar and it is fantastic. It is smooth. It is chocolatey and creamy and delicious. So can you take us through the process that, that you took to develop this cigar? Of course. I've always been a sucker for Cameroon. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, African Cameroon is extremely hard to come by. It's relatively exorbitant in price, and it's hard to get consistency in relation to bales. So if I were to come out with a project with African Cameroon, it would honestly be a limited edition run. Fast forward, Ecuador, which I do consider the chameleon of this industry, decides to bring some of that African Cameroon seed, so to speak, or Cameroon seed, better said, to Ecuador for growing purposes and procurement. Going forward, now they have Ecuadorian Cameroon, something that I fell in love with at first glance and at first taste. So Sangre Nueva is currently our first time ever using Ecuadorian Cameroon, something I desperately wanted within our lines. Um, it adds that chocolate sensation that you're talking about. I like to say that the difference between the two is that African Cameroon reminds me of cacao, the initial originations of chocolate, whereas Ecuadorian Cameroon is very much that dark chocolate tone. Um, it also carries a little bit of Corojo binder, a little bit, no, it is the binder, but yeah, Corojo binder on the inside from Honduras, which from a previous project last year, Patrimonio, was our first time launching anything in terms of Corojo. And then the kicker, as you said, it was found inside the filler. There is some Pennsylvania Broadleaf for just a tad bit more strength. Um, however, I didn't want the cigar to be super overbearing in the slightest. I want it to be full in flavor, so there's not too much to be had in there. However, it does also carry Nicaraguan filler as well as Dominican filler. And at this point, it is no longer a secret, sadly enough, because of individuals like Nate and Rob. Um, <laughs> I, I, have say it. I have to say it. So it is what it is, right? But inside the special ingredient for the Sangre Nueva is- Wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't say it. Do you have yeah. a guess? Oh, you don't know yet, Matt? Okay, never mind. I'm I don't know. Okay. Oh, never mind. Never. I haven't I'm heard it myself. I, I've been always been doing this as an educational standpoint. I, I like the individual. In fact, you took the cold draw, which is what I always recommend individuals to do on first glance because maybe you'll be able to pick it up. But it's one of those types of tobaccos in particular that people love or people just really aren't the biggest fan of. There's no real in between. It's hard to find it. I'm just going to take a shot and and say that I, I won't say anything super particular, but but my my palate is getting something that seems like brazil and i'm going costa rica okay both very interesting matt to answer you in particular brazilian tobacco is something we've been trying to get our hands on for the longest time specifically matafina it is beyond difficult to find nate you're correct you guys didn't blow it just yet um but <laughs> truth be told it doesn't carry any brazilian i wish it did however going forward down the line maybe we'll get our hands on a consistent bail and maybe a future project will come out and that is not costa rican either although i am very fond of the floral notes that you pick up with that yeah so if i jive anything more if anything else i will go on ahead and say it at the very end of uh, of this if that works for you guys yeah oh you could tell us now Yeah, go ahead all right right on um the smallest sliver of american curated kentucky fire cured tobacco wow oh yeah I, I never no i did not get that <laughs> i did not get that which is why um, on the old draw gives you this roasted almond sensation in a way all right so now okay i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to cold draw more and smoke more of these and really, 
really sit down with my notebook and and uh i love i love that though i love those little hidden hidden secrets those gems in there that that you don't know about i love nate beck and i cannot believe like he got it right on i i kid you guys not i was on the bovita podcast about a half hour before it went live and he picked it up right off the rip and i i was left dumbfounded because it was one of the very first interviews that i was finally hopping on talking about the product so i i was left at a loss of words i did not know what to say yeah nate has a phenomenal palette he has he has an incredible palette stupid yeah, we're, we're jealous of I Nate's am. palette. <laughs> Not fair. Not fair. Awesome. Um, look at this guy. All right, <laughs> Nate, go to bed. I'm sick of you. Just kidding. I love you so much. Um, so what was your, like, through the process, how many iterations, what was your goal for flavor profile and, you know, your involvement with the the blending process so this is my first ever project where my grandfather quite literally handed me a blank sheet of paper and said this is all you um no percentages quite literally just a listing of the tobacco that we had at the factory at that very moment um as you guys could imagine i was shitting bricks uh, at that moment in time i did not know what to do um we have a terminology called sweating in spanish and i, I genuinely was that day but <laughs> The process as a whole, the iteration of it was 14 blends. Um, the initial four, which is the kicker, so to speak, number three was the baseline. And the, I, the reason I say that is because they all carried Ecuadorian Cameroon in terms of the wrapper, but number three was the only one that carried that Corojo binder. <clears throat> so right off the bat, if you were to smell the foot before even lighting the cigar, hell, even on the cold draw, the aroma and that floral note that you picked up from it was already different in comparison to the other blends in question, right? So I found myself now going back to the percentage board and the, this took longer than expected. It took eight months because my grandfather at the time, and he's still very much doing so, although I, I don't know whether this is gonna come to an end or not soon, uh, that's yet to be spoken about. He spends two weeks at the factory and then he'll spend a weekend down here in the States to visit my grandmother who's moved full time. So. We haven't been back to that factory as of recently we were just there a couple weeks ago but at that moment in time we hadn't been back within two years due to COVID regulations and a lot of things there that have still yet to elevate to the point where the states are now let's say um so because of which there was a huge fear factor in terms of going back and now the process entailed my grandfather taking that piece of paper with him doing the blending process over there with the rollers and then bringing back the bundles in question with numbered markers on them. so one to four became the initial batch and then from there, five through nine, and then so forth. We settled on blend number 10. Um, and at that moment in time, I remember during that second initial batch of five through nine, my grandfather, I had a good heart-to-heart -heart moment with him, something that I spoke with Garrett about as well, uh, and you guys as well on the trade show floor, yep. in which he, better said, I approached him very much saying that I did not know what to do. Um, number three, I just kept on going back to it. And yet I wanted to add something more and I had no clue what the heck to add to it. And I very much felt at a loss. So the utmost respect to my fellow manufacturers, because it, it is very difficult to blend. And that being said, my grandfather looked at me and he says, you know what? This was over a couple of Sakapa rum. So it was very <laughs> nice. We were smoking a Connecticut, which is go to. I'll never forget it. Um, 
He says, your great-grandfather had a knack for tobacco. He was a cultivator of tobacco. He didn't have a factory, but he had a tremendous palate. And he was the type of individual to hold tobacco leaves up to the moonlight and quite literally tell you in which what season it was planted. Um, it's incredible, as we call it in Spanish, it's some mojito stuff. I mean, that is some very old-school, cubanazo, Cuban thing to do. Um, mm -hmm. And he says, you know what? Your father has a tremendous palate. But in relation towards something like this, in relation towards how many cigars you've smoked and from what we've spoken about with different blends that you've tried from fellow manufacturers alike, you have something that he had. Um, and beyond crying my eyes out at that very moment, which I don't tend to do very often, getting sentimental and I'm just talking about it. Um, I, that's when I took to my grandfather after giving him a big old hug and uh, asking him what we had in terms of experimental tobacco. Tobacco that we had procured or anything, if, uh, just inconsistent bales, whatever the case may be, what do we have available as a whole? Not just consistent, but something that we brought in for other individuals in question. And sure enough, he gave me the listing and Kentucky Fire Cured ended up taking the cake as number 10. Um, we tried blend number 10 through 14 were the experimentals. Blend number 11 actually carried a decent percentage of it. I put 5% into that blend. And although I... Although it tasted great in relation towards that close circle that was there, and that all agreed they loved number 11, I've never been the biggest fan of Kentucky Fire Cure. Um, I feel as if it's a very acquired taste, and this goes back to people loving it or people genuinely not liking it at all. Um, when I smoke a cigar, I like the complexity of it. I like it to change and transition, and with Kentucky Fire Cured, it's very potent. So the majority of what you're going to pick up is that roasted sensation. If you look at the Kentucky Fire Cureds from, uh, from Drew Estate, speaking of the Devils, or, uh, or hell, even the Sam Lucia Blacks, let's say, which came out of our factory. So finding that proper mix was what I ended up deciding on. Because at that very moment, especially smoking that double perfecto size that you guys are currently smoking, I got up out of my chair and I started doing laps around the table for how excited. <laughs> it, it was very interesting to, which I've heard from other fellow brand owners, when they say, you know, when you've hit a home run in your own book, that was one of those moments for me. Mm -hmm. um, very eye-opening. So... 14 iterations. Blend number three was that basis initially, but blend number 10 ended up being the winner overall and became the Sangre Nueva. Nice. I yeah. love that story. Yeah, great story. <clears throat> Fantastic cigar. It's a really nice blend. It really is. And it's. I, I, I hope, you know, the, the mind plays tricks on us and, you know, there's the power of suggestion. Um, but I, as I'm getting, I know. you know, past, I'm getting to the band's, now I took the bands off now and <laughs> in my head now, of course, I'm starting yep. to say, okay, I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm smelling and tasting that now. I think, I think I am. Um, but it, it could just be the power of suggestion, but again, I need to smoke more of them to get better acquainted with the blend. So, but, uh, it's first, first sample of the blend. It's a, it's, it's a really nice, nicely done. Thank you. I'll be sending more away, guys. Truth be told, we finally got the extra bundles in, and the boxes are finally arriving, finally arriving um, this week. Uh, the biggest issue, on a little bit of a side note for you guys, just so you know, a lot of individuals have problems when it comes to box manufacturing. Mm -hmm. There's a huge wait time, especially if you're the only game in town, and the factory right next to us in the Dominican Republic is the only game in town. So there's a long wait time for it, which is why if there ever is a back order, now you guys know why. It's not about the cigars. It's more about the boxes. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've heard that from everybody, and it's it's a sad reality in the cigar business yeah. right now. But we know everybody's doing their best, so no well, worries there. I mean, we know that this is a special cigar for you guys, and if you know you're doing this kind of stuff, 
on Coreline. Yeah, core, this is Coreline. This high gloss gold stamp. I mean, that's that's Coreline. That's not so. So <laughs> I I can only imagine the the beauty that we're going to see from the the packaging of the Sangre Nueva. Already smoked through a few. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was our pregame pregame cigar before uh, before we went live here. Um, so Garrett, I have a question. Fire away. Is it time? Oh, I think it is time. Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for this week's Numero de los Muertos. And as always, Numero de los Muertos brought to us by our friends at Smoke In. Numero de los Muertos, episode 178. Garrett, what do you have for us this week? I've got another story for us. Oh, stories. I love stories. Mm. In 1911, this man was testing his invention and died. Just one person. One guy. Wow. This is a this is gonna be a tough one. Well, I think we'll get there. I really and, it, and as always, viewers. If you guys are watching live on YouTube or Facebook and you have guesses, please put them. And yes, Nate, we would love to have you be a guest taster oh slash host. Please. Yes. Um, so, Raul, <laughs> you've got problems, brother. I love you, but you need to see somebody. Like two two words. I can't remember what movie it was from. Two words. Made in America. Therapy. <laughs> <laughs> But so if our viewers have guesses that aren't disgusting, leave them in the comments. <laughs> uh, but usually numbers are higher than this. So this is one guy. One guy in 1911, in 1911. Was testing his invention. All right. And no Google shenanigans from, from the viewers out there. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, not his gun. That's a good guess, though. 1911. Oh, I think it was Robert Browning. Yeah. You know, the inventor of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So not a gun. Um, the, the location may help us. The location. Mm -hmm. Like the geographical location? Correct. Um, was it? The United States? It was not. Not the United States. Mm -mm. Okay. 1911. Was it was it Europe oriented? It is in Europe. Okay. Somebody in not Europe in 1911 died testing their own invention. But let's uh, let's uh, let's get closer to where in Europe. Where in Europe? Um, 
um, Western Europe? It would be Western Europe. France. Yes. Okay. Okay, so France, 1911. It had to have been a guy because only a guy. guy only a guy would die testing his own right. That's absolutely a woman correct. would woman would never she'd they, no. she'd be way too prepared. Way ahead of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, she would have her husband do it. Yeah, she'd be like, <laughs> hey, "Hey, honey, could you test this for me?" So, Western Europe uh France, France in 1911. Um, what's a cool place in France? Carcassonne, Paris, Paris. Okay, yep. Okay. Paris, France. Yep. What's a cool place in Paris, France? The Eiffel Tower. Oh yes. He was testing an invention at the Eiffel Tower. Uh huh. <gasps> I think I know what it might be. Bring it. Is it a parachute? It is a parachute. Yes. Oh, wow. But. <laughs> Specifically, an overcoat parachute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A what? So, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in 1911, Franz Reinhelt decided to try out his new invention, the first overcoat parachute. To test his new coat, Reinhelt decided to jump from the top of the Eiffel Tower. Unfortunately, his invention was less than perfect and did not succeed in slowing his descent. <laughs> so he just... <laughs> he basically just... He just hit the ground like a sack of wet cement. Right. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm thinking of that, that damn WKRP Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> With the turkeys. Oh my God, they're turkeys. Oh my... Wow. So he tried to like he tried to like build a parachute into an overcoat. Correct. Like like Mr. Gadget? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> go go gadget parachute. Inspector gadget. Inspector yeah. Ga and it didn't yeah. It did not parachute. It just coated. It coated really good. <laughs> it, coated. <laughs> it was a great coat. It, it was, was a very it was a very <laughs> It was, a, it was a very nice, you know, stunningly tailored overcoat. Very handsome. It was a very handsome overcoat, yeah. but well, not not after, not, not so after. not so much now, no, not no, so much now. Not, no. <laughs> no, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. That's right, he Nate. Did he did. Sure. Yikes! Oh man. So now, yeah, you can't. Uh, yeah, don't. <laughs> don't just don't 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 do that don't i mean that's that's the moral of the story just right don't do it <laughs> why wouldn't know. why wouldn't you like put put an overcoat like test it on like a bag of flour or you know yeah. like, i believe in this yeah jump off something short you know jump off a pallet first and then <laughs> yeah. maybe your house you know, and then second, maybe third story of a hotel yeah you know work your way up to it don't just be like, this is going to work. I know I this is. I believe I can fly. <laughs> I just know this is going to work the first time. So let's just go all the way up to the top of the freaking Eiffel Tower. What could possibly go wrong? What could go wrong? Go harder, go home, I guess. Right? Yes, exactly. 
exactly. And he went. He went home. He did. Yeah, go, he he did, did go home. Actually, I can't even imagine it. I'm terrified of heights. <laughs> that for me, I would have been out like the light all the way down. You too, right? Yeah. No. My God. No. No way. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe he maybe he passed out on the way down and didn't wasn't able to deploy it. He couldn't pull the the cord or whatever because he passed out after he jumped. Oh. It's possible. That could be a possibility. I mean, I'll dig in. I'll dig in. <laughs> See what you could do. Yeah. Ask, ask him. I, I will. I will. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Oh, that was a good one. Thank you. I like that. That was very wow. good. <laughs> so don't, just don't do that. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to come up with something more eloquent, but just, just don't do that. Be better. Be better. Be better. Be better. Maybe, maybe when in doubt, when in doubt, chicken out. Maybe at yeah. that moment, right? Not bad. Not bad. I mean, I'm assuming he did. Maybe he wasn't even afraid. But that's, I'll be honest. I mean, part of my language this is a very shitty way to go. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's a shitty way to go. Don't do that. Well, yeah, Don't do that. I mean, to to JD's point, I'm I'm surprised nobody stopped him either. Yeah. Because if I saw somebody at the top of something, like. No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I don't. don't. Do yeah, maybe don't. Yeah, let's let's go down and get get a coffee and <laughs> and I'll bring it you tell you what, coffee's on me. Let's go down, we'll get a coffee, we'll get a cigar, we'll talk for a little while. A croissant. A, croissant. a croissant. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk for a little while and and you know, then maybe I can talk you out of doing this really stupid thing. What do you say? Yeah. I'll dig in. That's what he's. Oh my god! <laughs> he did indeed. He did. He did indeed. <laughs> so, that was this week's numero de los muertos. All right, so let's jump into the lightning round, brought to us by our friends at. J.C. Newman Cigar Company, America's oldest family-owned premium cigar maker, creators of the popular Brickhouse, Perla Del Mar, Diamond Crown, and The American, J.C. Newman Cigar Company operates out of their 112-year-old El Relo Cigar Factory in historic Cigar City, Tampa, Florida. For more information on their cigars or visitor experience, please visit jcnewman.com. All right, so, Alec couple non-cigar related questions for you Don, hit me if with you me. could hear the thoughts of one living person for 10 minutes who would it be and why for 10 minutes i gotta make this quick um joe rogan very I'll good answer. oh love that answer i love that answer a lot yeah all right if you were about to get into a fight what would your soundtrack music be? Oh my god, that's a great question. Um, take me home. Now, which which version am I thinking? Because I you say that, and I immediately go to uh, Denver. Uh, the old the old country song, but I don't think that's what you're talking about. Well, yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm very fight or flight, and more often than not, I'm flighting that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's a great answer. Um, so, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. All right. 
All right, Alec. The zombies are coming. Okay. Now you get to choose three industry people to be on your zombie apocalypse survival team. Who do you choose and why? Ernesto Placencia. He's got resources. Eric Espinosa, he's a psycho. <laughs> yes! By default, Jack Taranio, just in case I cannot run them. I gotta go. <laughs> you need one. You need one of those. I'm glad you recognize oh. that. Whoa, shit. He won't be mad at that at all. <laughs> He's going to see me alive after somebody for sure. To, somebody please go on Facebook and tag Jack on you in the comments. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, oh I, that is so good. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Fucking love it so much. That's beautiful. Oh, my gosh. All right. All right. Let's, let's, jump, into, uh, let's jump into this week's Notable Smokable. And Notable Smokables on How About That Cigar brought to us by our friends at Luciano Cigars. Notable cigars, notable passion, notable purpose. Uh, so, Alec, each week on the show, we each name a cigar that we smoked recently that was notable to us. Now, it could be a cigar that's been on the market for decades that we just tried again for the first time in a while or a cigar that's brand new to the market that we tried for the first time ever. Now, obviously, you're smoking mostly your own stuff. Uh, but when you get a chance to jump outside of the Casa Cuevas portfolio, is there something recently that you smoked that was really that really stood out to you? The Norteño, the Norteño oh, oh. cigar in Toro size. I last time I smoked that cigar was I kid you guys not about four years ago, and that's when I was working at the retail location. Um, I was a sucker for that cigar, and ever since then I've just kind of been honestly a kid in a candy shop, just going cigar hunting, going back and forth. Recently, uh, I was over in Vegas as of this weekend, and I was able to stop by a nice little lounge. And sure enough, it was there, brightest day at eye level. And I was like, oh, crap, this is a blast from the past. And it's still just as good as it was four years ago. Tremendous cigar. Tremendous Fun fact cigar. about that cigar. Does anybody know the movie that that cigar showed up in? That's, I didn't know it showed up in a movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, here's a clue. <clears throat> it is Hugh Jackman's cigar of choice. So, well, he's he's been a cigar guy. And I mean, Wolverine was a cigar guy. Mm -hmm. Was it one of the Wolverine movies? Was it? It was Logan. I never saw Logan. So uh, there's a scene where the young girl goes into this uh, convenience store and starts tearing up the joint, blah, blah, blah. He goes in to, to get her. And on the counter, inside a jar, and you get to see the Nortanio band plain as day as he grabs a handful before he jets out the front door. Nice. So, no yeah, go back, watch the movie. It's it's fantastic. I don't know. I, I really, I don't know why the hell I didn't. I saw, well, I saw the movie a while ago, but even then, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, good to know. Actually, yeah, I very cool. <laughs> Uh, what was your notable? My Garrett. notable, I had a LFD Cameroon Lancero. Mm. I'd never had it. Really? I know. That surprises me. Right. 
because I'm a Lancer. Everybody knows I'm a Lancer whore. And oh, that cigar. I love that cigar. My gosh. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. Uh, mine was uh, interesting. I mean, you know, people call October, you know, for the last, you know, number of years uh, in the cigar world. You know, a lot of people have be become or, or have started calling it the month of monsters, you know, for people. Pete Johnson and Tatuaje and all the monster series and everything. And I, I don't really, you know, I mean, I love, I've loved most of the monster releases. Um, but I don't really like go in where you say, I'm only going to smoke monsters this month, or I'm only like a lot of people play the game of Lancero February where they only smoke Lanceros in, in that month. But I just randomly out of my humidor pulled out a little Boris from Tatuaje mm -hmm. a few days ago and smoked that uh and yikes i mean it's it's just a, i i've always loved the boris blend you know and the karloff and and but the little boris you know it's just it's tasty i want to be honest there's not a, a monster cigar that i've been like nah. um oh, all of them that. have been good to great for me yeah yeah very solid blends and a fun project too. Just something a little different, you know, fun and Pete's a good guy. So, oh, Pete. you know, yeah. that's good stuff. Uh, so that was this week's notable smokable brought to you by Luciano cigars, improving lives through fine cigars. Visit LucianoCigars.com to learn more. So we have some coming attractions to tell you guys about, and those are brought to us by AJ Fernandez. Now, uh, AJ Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The AJ Fernandez portfolio of cigars provides a blend strength and flavor profile to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer. Whether it's New World, Dias de Gloria, San Latano, Enclave, or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with a premium cigar from AJ Fernandez. Uh, so, next, not next week, next week is Halloween. So, we are actually not going to have a show on Halloween. Uh, it's a holiday, and people are going to be with their kids and their families and trick-or-treating and all that good stuff, so we're not going to have a show on Halloween. Uh, but then following that, on the 7th of November, I cannot believe we're about to jump into November, nope. uh, we have Jeffrey Amendola from Amendola Cigars on the show. Uh, so that is what is coming up soon. Uh, so, Alec, if you would, well, first of all, Thank you, brother, so much for being on episode 178 of How About That Cigar Live. Thank you, guys. Sincerely, sincerely. This has been a treat and a half, and it's been a blast. Good, good. Yeah, we've loved it, every second of it. Uh, if you would, give our viewers and listeners an idea where's the best place for them to keep up with everything going on with Casa Cuevas Cigars. Well, please do follow us on Instagram under Casa Cuevas Cigars right then and there. More often than not, if you have any questions about the brand, we'll answer you right away. You can also follow us on Facebook. We also have a Discord as well, which you can go on ahead and follow if you are on Discord. And last but not least, if you want to see where the nearest shop located to you is, you can go to CasaCuevasCigars.com to find the nearest location near you. Fantastic. Yeah, those retail locators, they come in handy. Yes, they do. Yeah. Well, brother, thank you again so much for being on the show, man. We had a we had a good time. We hope you did too. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> good, good, good. Say hello to your family for us. You got it. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you uh, again. And and to all our viewers and listeners, uh, thank you so much for watching live on Facebook and live on YouTube. And if you watch after the fact and you still have questions or anything like that, you can leave them in the comments either on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, and thanks again for listening on your favorite audio podcast platform. If you have questions for us, you can email us on the website, howaboutthatcigar.com. Uh, make sure to follow us on all social media at HBT Cigar. And of course, oh, we have one more thing. Oh, we'll do that. We'll okay. do that. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. yeah. And of course, until we see you guys next time, burn cigars, not bridges. Thanks, guys. <laughs>